Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. In my opinion, biblical rest is a redefining of God as the creator and not ourselves, as God as the one who's going to do it and not us. And if we misplace what rest is and what Sabbath is, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to end up in a season in life where you're in a place you didn't want to be going in a direction you didn't want to go in because you took the control. See, the control element of Sabbath is God, I trust you. And so I will rest in the example you set forth in creation. I will rest in the example you set forth in creation because it is not my will, my works, and my grit that will get things done. It is only you. And I think in a day and age in a world where we can just teach everything and we've never had more technology, information, and things that we could multiply our time with, I genuinely believe that as we've pursued this multiplication we've not realized that we've actually cut ourselves in half. And I believe biblical rest within the context of Sabbath and the practice of it is the very thing that continues to align yourself with the creator to make sure what you're doing is what he wants you to be doing. Before we launched this church, we, me and my wife had already had a, a, a posture and a position of, of biblically uh, resting. But we knew coming into the season of launching that it would be a lot more intense. People fight, not people fighting for our time. Don't worry, you don't, we don't fight with any of you guys, right? We fight, we spiritual, whatever. Anyway, but what we did is we felt, I felt convicted to protect rest, to protect it. And what that looked like for us is us drawing up a list of two of what my wife viewed as rest and what I viewed as rest and then combining those things and then ultimately saying every week on Fridays, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rest. And I believe that in this day and age, for a lot of us, a rest day, and we're going to talk about what rest is in God and what Sabbath is in God, because I believe a lot of us, we've bought a bill of goods that's not actual rest. And what I mean by that is we do what everybody else kind of tries to tell us will be restful. And then we woke up, we wake up anxious. It's like, there's a reason we have so many of the things going on mentally and whether it's from anxiety or depression or these things is because we constantly buy what everybody else is selling instead of going to the scriptures and saying, God, form this in me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm kind of going to break down a few passages in scripture, but Really, a lot of this comes from Hebrews 3. And, and we're actually going to break down in Hebrews 3 and 4 some passages that I think are really instrumental to rest and us understanding that rest in, in focus is an absolute gift from God. So let's read Hebrews 3, 7 through verse 19, 12 verses. I'm going to break it up a lot and I'm going to break it down a lot. And so don't worry, we're, going to be, we're all in this together this morning. I'm only preaching for three hours. Um, well, no laughs. God, a lot of delayed ones. Oh, I got Nathan. I see you over there. Hey, thanks for your wife bringing all the donuts this morning. Hey, can we give it up for the beachers really quick? I, lo- I looked out and there was a, and, and Trina's mom is carrying like six boxes of donuts in. I'm like, 
She's like, just for everybody today. So y'all better eat those donuts because I ain't. I had one though. It was good. It was very good. (laughs) Hebrews 3, 7 and 19. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Now, I'm going to read this again because I, I find this passage a little bit funny, okay? Because some of us, we didn't actually catch the wording. So let's read it one more time. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Now, pause. Once again, interesting passage because of this, right? It, the wording is, don't harden your hearts when they provoked me. Think about that. Because a lot of us, we read this, and it, it doesn't really make sense, right? They provoked God and then hardened their hearts against him. This is like you going to a grocery store, stealing a ton of candy, your mom catching you, taking you back to the grocery store, and you, pay, and you paying the punishment, and then you getting mad at your mom. I mean, think about it, right? They hardened their hearts after they provoked me. It's God, and what's funny is this, the imagery is this, God's heart isn't hardened toward us in the disobedience. Their hearts were hardened towards him in the disobedience, but, and I mean, once again, we're gonna keep reading because this is, this is kind of the narrative we're setting today when it comes to rest and when it's not properly used. It says this, Verse 9, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Now, what is he referencing, right? Jesus, or God's taking care of the people in the wilderness. How many of you guys know if every day you woke up and there was just bread on your door and you don't know how it got there? And then your pastor was like, hey, I prayed and everybody's going to have bread for 40 years, right? I'd be like, okay, God's real. (laughs) As long as it's gluten-free, nut-free, (laughs) herb-free. No oils, don't want any dairy. (laughs) I gluten. Oh, God, give me something not gluten. Oh, so many jokes in this. I can't do it. All right. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. Verse 11, this is the foundation of today. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So let's, let's paint the picture right now where we're going, okay? So they hardened their hearts toward God when they were kind of provoked, when essentially God's like, there's a lot of passages that kind of talk about how the people walked away from God. But essentially what happened is, is God gets to the place where finally he's like, listen, if you guys really don't want to follow me wholeheartedly, you're not going to know my true rest. I mean, think about that. If, and I'm going to say it again so we, so we fully understand it. If you're not going to follow me wholeheartedly, you're not going to know true rest. And I think this is the, this is the thing that maybe some of us have never quantified or looked at and said, like, man, that... That's deep is if we're not following God wholeheartedly, 
the ability to enter into the rest that he prepared for our lives will not be evident. And I think this is such a thing that's so hard for people to grapple with. Is it's like when we sin and our hearts are hardened, it's not us, it's not God paying the price, it's us paying the price. And what's fascinating is this, and you know, we can get into this a, a whole nother time, but in the ESV, which Roger, you can probably study this later and we'll discuss it. I love Roger. Uh, in the ESV, it actually, there's synonyms where it actually calls the promised land the place of rest. And it literally references it twice where God's essentially saying like, this isn't just a place of milk and honey. This isn't just a place where you'll be provided for. This is a place where your souls will rest. This is a place where you will find peace. Now, here's another element that maybe you didn't know about. And I want to say this. And once again, it's, it's, a, it's a subjective take. But I'm going to say this is if you actually look at the Egyptian society, Okay, for hundreds of years, slavery. What you actually find is they didn't live by the calendar of today, right? So all of us, we view the calendar as we got seven days. On the seventh day, there's rest. They actually had a lunar calendar. And based on that, you can actually look that they believed that a week was either nine or 11 days. Everybody kind of varies on what that is. And so many people believe, and I'm gonna say this, many people believe that the Jewish people in Egypt did not actually have a day of rest ever living there consistently. Now, they may have had a day off of work. They may have had stuff that, that, was, that they gave for festivals and different things for the lunar calendar. But I'm going to say this. They did not know how to consistently, faithfully step back and rest. And what's funny is, is once again, we're going to keep reading these passages because I want to give context and a little bit of understanding to these passages because many of us, we don't necessarily realize that before we come to God, we don't have rest because he's the one who created it. So when we come to God, what he's really wanting us to do is come to him and recognize our sonship recognize ourselves as sons and daughters of him. And he's the one who works for us. And the first thing we have to fight against is will we continue to think we're the producer or will will we rest and recognize he is? And so I want to continue to read because it's very interesting to me, these couple passages, and then we're going to break down in Romans some as well. It says this, Verse 15, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when you provoked me for when provoked for who provoked him when they had heard indeed did not all of those who came from Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who had sinned whose bodies then fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were not able to enter rest because of unbelief. Hebrews 4, 9 through verse 13. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God has rested from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, persistent and prioritative, so that no one will fall through following the same example of obedience. I love this because essentially what it's saying is if you do not rest, you will fall. 
And actually, to not rest in God's goodness, we've already painted or pursued the language of hardness of heart, of unbelief, of us needing to control. And I want to say this to you today. I believe there's, there's a balance to this, and we're going to talk about this later. But I believe the lie that we're sold every day is we are the producers of everything for ourselves. The lie that we have been told is it will only be up to you. It's up to your talent. It's up to your skill. It's up to everything that you do. And I believe there is a faithfulness to the work and to the grind. But I also believe genuinely that there's a faithfulness to resting that he is in control and not us. Because I can tell you this, I have had temptation after temptation of, man, will I just run? Will I run? Will I run? And when we talk about sustainability, if we want to make it in the long run, it's us going to the place of God, I'll disconnect from this world. I'll spend time with you. I'll commune with you. I'll rest in you. And I'll trust that when I'm resting, you're producing better than anything I could produce on my own. And some of us, maybe even we're feeling the stress of we've been trying to get on the wrong plane, go in the wrong direction. And if we assess our lives and our rest, we're like, okay, well, maybe I've not rested. But I want to actually define where, what rest is in Scripture for us to understand before we get there. But verse 12 says this, for the word of God, and I love this passage because once again, I think this one's quoted a lot, but it's not understand the context of the quote. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Man, we've heard this quote, but do we understand the context of this quote being that of rest? And in my opinion, I'm going to jump there, but if, we're inclu- if we want to rest, but we're not including the word of God, that's why these are combined. And I think a lot of us, we don't understand the spiritual rhythm of rest, not the disconnection of the secularization stuff. But how do we rest in him and not just rest in, I just need a break? Because he's the one that provides the power. You know, I think a lot of the times, think about it like this. I believe that when we rest apart from God, have you ever seen a car that's dead trying to jump itself with its own batteries? When the car is dead, you need something with power that can bring it back. And I believe a lot of the times we're trying to rest apart from him, wondering why our batteries aren't being charged, wondering why we're not running, wondering why we can't sustain. And God's like, because I am the one who charges. I am the one who brings it back. I am the one who gives you the power. I am the one who sustains. Not your ability, not who you are, but my promised land was not just a place of provision. It wasn't just a pl- an actual place. It was a place where you could rest. Four thoughts on the sanctity of rest today. The first one, Sabbath rest is coupled in Scripture with a gathering of believers and pursuit of knowledge and awareness of God and His Word. You know, what's funny to me is when you look at the Jewish uh, tradition of rest, right? What was it? the Sabbath, but what was it? It was the communal bond. It was the studying of scripture. It was this place where they went to be with Jesus. See, everything else was work, but that. And I want to challenge you today. I think that if I were to ask you, what's your definition of rest? Make a list of it. Very few of us maybe would say, well, time with God. 
And even some of us, the introverts of ourselves, would be like, dang, the last thing I want to do when I rest is be around people. And I'm not saying that inherently you have to do that, but I will say from a biblical place, that Sabbath rest for the Jewish people was time with God, was time in his scriptures, was time in the communal body. And yes, you could say, okay, well, in Genesis, when God rested, obviously he probably did it alone. And so there's that element too, but I want to encourage you today, if you're trying to rest apart from Christ, you're not resting If you're trying to rest apart from his word, apart from communing with him, apart from intimacy, you're not resting. And I want to challenge you today. You were created for time with your father. And in that place, that's where you're restored. And many of us, I believe, we, we almost like the first couple hours of my Sabbath is blocking out what I should be doing is blocking out what I could be doing, is blocking out all of these things. And then the, the, the rest of the day is just, okay, God, I'm here. I can be outside. I can be present. I can be mindful. But for me, once again, I think a lot of us, if I were even to ask you, what does your promised land look like? Would we be able to define within the context of our lives where we want to arrive to that we have a place of rest in where that arrival is? Being rootless inflames restlessness. Second thing, Sabbath and rest, and this is going to be a hot take, and it's okay, we're going to go there, cannot be found in the theology of self-help. See, a lot of us, I think, this is where it gets interesting today, and this is where I think some people don't. When we look at Scripture, what we see is, and I'm going to actually read some. Um, in a second, but what we see is, is, is we have a fallen and sinful self. And when we come to God, we don't come to God and give him parts of us and withhold. We come to God and we say, I am broken, I am flawed, I am flawed, I give everything to you. There is nothing good in myself that can produce a better self. There is only good in Jesus, and he is what produces good in me. And so what's interesting to me is that in this day and age, what we perceive everything, and I'll I'll even give some, some examples of this, right? Mindfulness, manifestation, meditative practice, grounding, earthing, these things. What's funny is, is they're all biblical practices, just the Bible kind of taken away from them. And what I mean is that when we understand scripture and we go to this place of God wants to commune with you everywhere, in everything, in every situation, in every conversation, in every rhythmic practice, in whatever recharging rest comes from, he wants to be with you in that. I promise you, you'll find that these practices pulled apart from God are not practices that actually restore our humanity. And that's our goal with God, is God, would you restore me in your image? Would I accomplish your plans? Would I do what you said? Not, God, can I do what I want? Can I accomplish my own plans? Can I do? No, this is. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge us in a couple of these passages, Romans 7, 18, and then we'll focus on Romans 8 as well. For I know that good does not dwell in me. That is, in my flesh, 
For the willing is present, but the doing of good is not. See, a lot of us, I think that deep down, I believe people are good people. But what that comes from, right, is this verse. The willingness to be good is there. But the doingness of good is not always there. Romans 8, or yeah, 8, 6 through 8. For the mindset on the flesh is death. I'm sorry to get like this pointed, but I believe that the doctrine of self-help combining with Sabbath and rest is actually missing the aim of being with Jesus. Resting is God, I disconnect from everything and I'm with you. I'm with you, God. I'm with the things that I know will build me up in the image of the creator. And I trust that in that image being built, the creator will create again. But the mindset on the spirit is life and is peace. If I were to ask you the question, do you have life and do you have peace? And you, you're looking and you're saying, man, I really don't. Then I would challenge you on your ability to rest, but also your ability to rest in him. And if he's the thing charging you, or if you're reaching for everything else to build your life on, not realizing that sand is not the firm foundation your soul craves. Let's keep reading. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. I love the language there. Because hostility is a, is a, is a pointed term. It's not like this like fluffy, like, hey, your flesh doesn't like God. No, your flesh is hostile to God. The last thing your flesh wants is him because we live in this fallen world. We live in a fallen society that doesn't want us back connected with the creator. Let's keep reading. And it says this, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. This is why I'm talking about kind of this self-help. This is like the meatiest passage relating to it. And I'm not saying that if you try to do behaviors that, that fuel you, that that's wrong. But it's when we, we get the craze of society and say, okay, well, if I do this, then I'll be better. If I do this, then this will make me restful. Well, if I do this, if I get these essential, I, don't, I was going to say essential oils, but... <laughs> Right? If I, if I do these things, if I have this stuff, if I, oh, I watched this new reel, oh, I just saw this new thing, and it's like, no, if you spent time with God, no, if you blocked it all out, if you locked the doors and you just said, Jesus, I'm here, I'm with you, God, teach me in your word, I'll pray with you and be mindful of your presence, not my presence in this world, but your presence in it. See, self-help inadvertently, I'm not saying, oh, it's terrible and sinful and all, but I am a little bit saying if it takes you away from God, it is. And most of us have a paradigm of rest that is not rest. And you were created to commune. I'm going to read that again. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those 
who are not in the flesh can please God. Those, if you are in the flesh, you just can't please him. I just wanted to challenge you. The next one is because I believe this is a word for this house. Your ability to rest, your ability to completely disconnect from this world. Me and my wife, we try to do 24 hours with zero technology. Zero technology. We're trying to completely detach, spend time together and spend time with God. Spend time doing the things that, yes, recharge us, but only recharge us because they're done in him and not in ourselves. But the next one, and the reason I'm so firm on this and I'm, I'm being 100% serious is this next point. Your depth of Sabbath will determine your sustainability. I'm telling you, I want people to walk with God all the days of their lives. But there is a reason in the Old Testament that two-thirds of our spiritual leaders don't make it to the end. They don't finish well. And I'm not saying it's intrinsically related to Sabbath, but I will say this. You will hear us talk about sustainability here over and over and over and over again because the rhythmic disciplines and patterns of following Christ is what enables us to sustain the race he's called us to run. And it's so cliche, but it's so true. It is not a sprint. And for some of us, even there's, I know there's a lot of people who are young in this room What is the rhythmic disciplines and patterns of our lives that sustain the running? And in some cases, the walking, some cases, the crawling, but I'll go forward. And I think it's so sad to me today that we're reaching for everything else to recharge us rather than the one who actually recharges all of us, and it's Jesus. But I'll say this, your depth of ability to rest in Sabbath will determine your sustainability. Even last night, we were trying to link up with some friends, and they ignored us for hours. And then naturally, they gave us a super spiritual excuse that they were Sabbathing. And I was frustrated, and they're in the back, Austin and Rachel, I love them. But it's like, dang, like text me pictures of the kid, it's my goddaughter. But that makes me proud to know that we as a church will practice Sabbathing. We'll practice disconnecting. We'll practice disconnecting from all of this world and connecting with him. Resting in his goodness, resting in his grace. And more than anything, we want to see people sustain the pace to finish the race. And if you think for a second your pace doesn't have rest built in, in him, you're wrong. It does. Couple questions. These are just a couple things as it determines the depth of your Sabbath. The first one, how involved is Jesus and his Holy Spirit in our rhythms of rest? The second, how involved is the scripture in recharging me in the image of being a child of God? The third, am I committed to a house of worship that builds my personhood? The fourth, do I protect my rest by being aware of things that add to a restless state. The fifth, would people characterize me as calm, collected, and grounded, or frazzled all over the place, anxious, and always rushing? See, those things are, are symptoms of a restless soul. 
And the six, do I know what rhythms of rest are for me specifically? Do I have them listed? Do I have them planned? Do I have planned time in which they are in, implemented into my life? And we'll get these questions out, don't worry, uh, on social media or on our tech system this week so you can process that, which means I'm going to have to make you all sign up for that, which is fantastic. But I believe some of us, we've never thought critically about what it means to rest in God. And even some of us, even a step farther is we look and we don't realize that the promised land for the people of God was a place of rest. And I want to encourage you today that for some of us, we don't even, you don't even realize the story of rest in the place of this house. See, me and my wife, we didn't come out here and say, wow, we're going to plant in Phoenix. That's not our story. We were at a great church. I was going to take it over. It's an incredible place of worship. And I came out here just to rest. We came off a busy season. I just wanted to golf. I'm being 100% honest. This is our story. I just wanted to golf and rest. It was a cheap flight. We came out, and isn't it interesting that God, in that one week and a half of time, I'd never been here except when I was 13, in that week and a half of time, the place that I went to rest became the place of my calling. And I want to challenge you in this. See, some of us, we can only equate calling with producing and not calling with resting. And some of us, if we took time away from everything that is bombarding us and spent time with him in a place of God, I am with you. You might find out that your calling is starting to change. That who you were created to be is starting to change because as your eyes are on him, he's creating anew. And I want to challenge you in this. What's funny, and Daniel's here. He's going to love that I mentioned him. Daniel, I love you. So isn't it, once again, I had traveled a lot for work. And it's interesting to me that the one time I didn't travel for work, I traveled for rest is the place God called me to. And if you don't think that's ironic, I do. The second thing is this. I mentioned golf in the place of rest, and I, I do that because, and I, many people who've golfed with me know that I don't like to be on my phone. I like to just be out there and completely detached. Probably about six months ago, me and Daniel were out golfing, and when we were out golfing, I, uh, it was a par five, and many of you guys don't know what that means, but a five means you want to get to the hole in five. Now, an eagle is when you get there in three. It's when you hit it in the hole in three. I'd never had an eagle in my life. I haven't golfed very long. And I remember I hit a drive, and I hit a pretty good drive, but there was a ton of bunkers. And don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this story. And I've never eagled before, and I remember that week was a very stressful week. We were trying to launch this church. We were negotiating with this building. We had so much up in the clouds where I was like, God, I just need to golf and get out of here because this feels like it's killing me. And I remember I hit a drive, I hit a good drive, and then there's no way I can make it to the green, but I'm like, you know, this would be sick if I make it to the green. I crush a shot in the tiniest of windows, I'm on the green, but I'm super far from the hole. No way I'm going to make this putt. And I remember I'm walking up, and the whole time I've been golfing by myself, Daniel was there, I've been processing with God. And I've just been saying, God, like, man, I'd love something where you just... I'm praying, praying, praying. And finally, I remember walking up to this putt and I look at it and it's so far and it's down a bunch. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make this. And I said, God, you know what would be great? You know, I love to rest, 
but as a symbol that you've got this, would you let me make this putt? As a symbol of, listen, it's, uh, it's going to be okay. Will you? And there's no way I was going to make this putt. I mean, the probability was 1%. A double breaker, over 50 feet, no way. And I remember, I'm just walking around, and I never take this much time, but I'm walking around, and I'm like, God, as a symbol that you've got me, will you have me make this putt, please? Because life's been a little tough. And things have not been lining up according to plan. But I trust you. I made the putt, and I pulled the ball out of the hole, put it in my pocket, and I take it in my car, and I write down the day, and I write down the course, and I write down first eagle, and then I wrote down on that ball, I said, never forget, he's with you everywhere, and he's got it under control. And that golf ball sits on my desk every day. And I was going to bring it today, and I forgot. (laughs) But what's, what, what's, what's interesting to, for you guys to know is this. I could have been at a prayer meeting crying out, could have done, but it wouldn't have had the symbolism of doing, of resting in God and even in my rest, wrestling with what he was doing. But now I have that symbol of I was resting while still wrestling, but resting. And now I have a symbol of his goodness. And now you guys and this church I can bring that and show you that on this day and this time, as I was struggling, God was good. And my last point is this. To underproduce is just as bad as overproducing. And I felt like I had to say this because in this day and age, sometimes we don't understand that, that it's not work or rest. It's work and rest. And I believe you have to understand that to fully know rest, you also need to fully know work. And any of them that are absent from the other, I'm going to tell you this, will leave you devoid of the true euphoria of each. And so I wanted to challenge you in that in closing. I can literally hear my, my mom saying, we got to work hard. But I can also say this. I know for me and my wife, as we are exhausted after the week and preparing for the weekend, Thursday night when my phone goes off, I know I've earned it. I know I've done what I needed to do that week. And I know that part of me working is trusting that God's working for me. And so today, I wanted to challenge us on these principles because I believe these principles are important to us as people. The promised land, even in those Hebrews passages, those Romans passages, disobedience, hardness of heart. And I want to even challenge you, your your feeling that you need to produce rather than trusting that God does. Never truly knowing rest, never truly knowing the root system of him in our lives, I pray that you would think strategically and tangibly about how to implement rest into your life. Let's all stand to our feet. Many of you know, and the rhythmic practice is we pray over everybody, the message before worship. 
And so for you today, if you're sitting here and saying, man, this really applies to me, or maybe you're somebody who says, I got rest all the way down. Well, then maybe, okay. I just want to challenge us to close our eyes. And if you're open to, open your hands to receive this, this prayer of rest over your life. Jesus, today you have permission to form us in the image of rest and releasing control. We follow the example of you in creation, working and resting, forming the world, yet implementing limits. God, would you help us today? Anxiousness and striving is taking hold of our personhood to know when the cares of this world are choking out the knowledge of you. Jesus, would you help us to pursue intentional times of being in your word that fill us. May you teach us to prioritize the sanctuary even when it's the last thing we want and release control. The idol of it created what only our creator could. May you remind us of our place in the garden of your creation. We serve a God that longs to create streams in the desert and rivers in the wasteland. May we be reminded when we rest in you that production only comes from the Holy One. And any human activity outside of the divine plan of you and your word, you are invited to lead our work. You are invited to lead our rest. We choose the stone in which the builders rejected, which has now become the foundation of all we are. May your kingdom come. May your will be done.